Well, as we've been studying John chapter 6, and there has been so much beautiful gospel truth in this chapter, there's been one reoccurring theme, Jesus describing himself, his identity, and who he is and what he does as the bread of life, the bread of life that has come down from heaven. Jesus has said, and we have heard, that whoever believes, whoever comes to Jesus, the bread of life will never hunger again. So today we are continuing that journey and that study as Jesus continues to reveal what that means. But before we dive into verse 41, let me ask a simple question, and it's a question that probably a lot of us can relate to. How many of us know that when we are hungry, it's hard for us to enjoy where we're at. Meaning that when we are hungry, when our bellies are empty, we could be at a concert, we could be at the theater, we could be at a sports game, and no matter how inspiring the music is, no matter how thrilling the movie is, no matter how dynamic the sports game is, we can't enjoy it if we're hungry. We could hear the music, the movie, and the sports, but all we can hear is the grumbling and the growling of our bellies. That's why oftentimes many of these venues, they offer food. Not only because food is fuel, not only because food is fun, not only because food creates community, but also they know that if we're not well-fed, we won't enjoy the event, the experience that we are at. Now, when we come to John chapter 6, verse 41, what we're going to see is Jesus, right after he proclaims the good news, the gospel, after he proclaims the best news the world has ever heard, in a world filled with bad news and, yes, fake news, this is still the good news the best news the world has ever heard. What we're going to see is a very, very interesting reaction to Jesus's proclamation. And if we're honest, it's probably something that we can relate to, not just in general, but maybe even right now. Jesus said, if you have your Bibles open, let's return back to what we studied last week. In verse 34, he said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's good news. That changes everything. That changes our priorities. It changes our pleasures. It changes our passions. We come to Jesus. He's the bread of life. He not only offers salvation, he offers satisfaction. But the good news continues. In verse 37, Jesus said, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Some of us wonder, will Jesus accept me? You know how much damage you might have done. You know the things that you have said. You know perhaps the winding road that has been your past. Jesus says this to you. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He will not reject you. You can be accepted because of who he is and his mercy and his grace. That's really, really good news. Who's that really, really good news for? It should be everyone, but it's really, really good news to those that know they need grace. Jesus said, I have come so that those who need healing would be healed. 
Everyone needs healing. We all need the great physician. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. Verse 40, it continues. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not only does our Jesus satisfy our deepest needs, not only does Jesus accept us and welcome us, but he also promises to raise us to everlasting life. It doesn't get any better than this. What more can we hope for? What more can we long for? Surely the crowd is going to hear this and say, Hallelujah! Praise you, God, for the bread of life from heaven. How's the story going to go? Grumbling and growling. This passage, you're going to hear a lot of grumbling. And it's shocking, is it not? To have Jesus Christ before you. The bread of heaven. The bread of life. Promising all of these beautiful things. And we can't hear it. Verse 41 Story continues. This is the word of the Lord. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Let's pause right there. Jesus just proclaims the best news the world has ever heard. And they're like, who is this guy? Is this Joey and Mary's son? Didn't they grow up in uh, Nazareth? This is my Jersey accent. I'm making it relevant. <laughs> he's just a carpenter's son. Who is this guy saying he's from heaven? Come on, forget about it. <laughs> now, what's, what's going on here? This is interesting, right? Because they're a walking paradox. This crowd has followed Jesus all around the Galilean countryside. They followed him around the Sea of Tiberias. Why are they following him? Because they want their bellies filled. They want the, the multiplied bread and fish. They want their bodies healed from sickness and disease, and they believe Jesus can do that. They also just wanted to make him king. So now why are they saying, hey, who is this guy? Isn't this Joey and Mary's son? What's going on? Jesus is revealing who he is. And when the masses and the crowds and the religious establishment don't like that, watch how their view of him gets diminished instantly and immediately. What happens here is that there is a grumbling that goes deeper than their bellies, right? They just had their bellies filled. They multiplied the bread and the fish, right? No, there's a hunger that goes deeper than your stomachs. There's a soul craving, there's a spiritual hunger that every single one of us on a daily basis wrestles with. I mean, think of it. Yes, we can look back to the grumbling of the generation that God delivered from slavery in Egypt, how he was, God was delivering them and supplying them manna from heaven, and they just grumbled and they complained. But let's even go further back than that, and let's go back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. They literally lived in paradise. They had everything perfect. And yet, God says, do not partake of this one tree. Everything is good. Everything is for you. Everything is beautiful and perfect. But you cannot partake of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will certainly die. We know the story. This 
talking snake creeps up on them, which is a good reminder, again, if a talking snake ever comes up to you in a garden, don't engage. (laughs) Run, okay? They do engage. They listen, are deceived about the nature of God and the truth of his word, and they see the fruit. But friends, what was alluring about the fruit? Was it just the fruit that they were hungry for? They had a hunger that was deeper than the fruit. It was what the fruit promised. They could have the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says they wanted to be God. It was not enough to be made in God's image. They wanted to be God. This crowd hears about how Jesus comes from heaven. And what is revealed is their discontented, grumbling and complaining hearts. Yes, they are the Jewish people, the people chosen by God, the people that God has set his affections upon, and yet their hearts are far from God. That's why this can happen in church today, right? With all the passion that I can muster, all the joy in my heart, with tears in my eyes, I can flail around and preach the best sermon I've ever preached. And then as soon as we say amen, what? I don't know about today's church service. The music was all right. That preacher, he yells too much. Man, those kids, they were running around too much. Those person, that person, that one person, man, they annoy me. Does this happen today too? Yeah. This is us, right? This is us. So I like how Jonathan Broadhouse put it, author and pastor. He said, an unthankful and complaining spirit is an abiding sin against God, a cause of almost continual unhappiness. Man, that's true. And yet, how common such a spirit is. How prone we seem to be to forget God's faithfulness and remember only our complaints. I heard a story about a monk who entered into a monastery a monk who entered into a monastery and he took a vow of silence. For 10 years, this monk didn't utter a word. And then the friar, the leader of the monastery, comes to the monk and says, how has your time been here? And he says, bed hard. Okay, so then he takes another 10-year vow of silence, doesn't say a word. And then the leader of the monastery, the friar, comes and asks him again, how has your time been here? And he says, food bad. Sure enough, he takes another 10-year vow of silence. It's now been 30 years. He's only said four words, and the friar comes up to him and says, one last time, how has your time been here? And the monk says two words, I quit. To which the friar says, that's good, because all you've done is complain ever since you got here. (laughs) Friends, how many of us know that even in a monastery, even if you're detached from the world, even if you're in this perfect little Christian bubble and you have yourself in this almost bombardment where nothing from the world can touch you, if we do not believe in Jesus as the bread of life, we will be discontented. We won't truly know what Jesus is talking about here. We will continue to grumble and to complain. Eventually, we'll check out. Verse 43, all eyes back on scripture. The story continues here. I love how Jesus answered them. Stop it. (laughs) 
This is fantastic. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pause right there. So what's happening here is that it's not like the grumblers, the Jews. Now, when John talks about they or the crowd, I think he's talking about the masses, the 5,000 men and their women and the children. But when he talks about the Jews, it oftentimes in the Gospel of John refers to the Jewish establishment. So there's probably Jewish religious leaders in the crowd, and they start grumbling amongst themselves. They weren't even grumbling to Jesus. Oftentimes, grumblers don't grumble to the leader. They grumble to other people. Jesus jumps in, right? He says, stop it, as some translations say. Do not grumble amongst yourselves. Now, does Jesus address what they're grumbling about? They're grumbling about his claim to be from heaven, right? What does Jesus address? He dives deep. He goes beneath the surface and gets to the root. Oftentimes, as a pastor, um, and, and this is a joy for me, I love coming alongside people and walking through this life with them, but oftentimes in my discussions and my counseling with Christians, all the time, 90% of the time, is spent between two people arguing over a specific moment, a specific time, and who did what, and who's wrong, and who's right. And what I have to constantly do is to say, okay, that's up here, guys. That's the surface. Why are we fighting over this? Why are you on the brink of losing your relationship over this? Let's get to the root. I mean, we could put Band-Aids on the symptoms all day, but how many of us want an antidote, want a remedy to the cold, to the virus, to the cancer? Jesus dives deep, and it wouldn't seem that this is necessarily about his identity as the bread of life from heaven, but it is. It wouldn't seem that this is the antidote to their grumbling, but it is because the one who is from heaven is now claiming that the one sovereign over heaven has not drawn them to him, and that's why they don't believe. It's shocking. It's shocking for not only the Jewish people who were chosen by God to hear this, but then the Jewish establishment who are supposedly representing this said God Jesus is claiming the Father hasn't drawn you, meaning that you don't even know God as Father or the one that you claim to represent. It's quite shocking. Jude also talked about it, the New Testament letter of Jude. It says here in the book of Jude, talking about this kind of culture, this kind of cancer, he says they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. So that's what they're doing. They're denying he's from heaven. Verse 16 of Jude. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. I like how Thomas Watson, Puritan writer and pastor said, grumbling is the rising up. Can we say rising up? Grumbling is the rising up of oneself against God. It sets oneself against God as if I am wiser than he. That's true, right? We grumble because we we think we can do God's job better than he can. We think we should probably be God. Not much has changed from the Garden of Eden here in the Garden State. The reason they do not believe... In Jesus, as the bread of heaven, is because they do not believe in the one who is reigning over heaven. 
that claiming to know God and represent God, Jesus says they don't know God at all. They have been drawn by their physical appetites and not by the Father's grace. So that word draw here in, in verse 44, you have to know this, this, this verse is a very, very important verse. A lot of people discuss and even debate the meaning of this verse because how do we understand it with all the whoever's and the everyone's and the world's that we've heard in the Gospel of John? The Greek word actually means to drag. It means to drag or to draw, to persuade or to pull. So here's the nature of salvation. The nature of salvation, as you will hear from this pulpit until my last dying breath, is that we are saved not because of any works that we do, but because of the finished final work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are saved by his grace that we receive through faith, and it's all for his glory. Our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Now, when we came to Christ, was it that we were living this good life and we just decided all of a sudden to follow Jesus? We believe that we're saved by grace, but no, when we actually do a deep dive into Scripture, we will see that our need for grace went so much deeper than we ever thought possible. This is part of the reason why we become grumblers, right? Is we forget two things. We forget how desperate our need for grace was and is, and then we forget how abundant the supply of grace from our God is and shall be. So the Bible says in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sin, right? You've heard me say it. That the Bible is not about making bad people good, but about making dead people alive. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are dead in our sin. Romans chapter 6 says we are slaves to sin. Romans chapter 8 verse 8 says those who are in their flesh cannot please God. Without the Spirit of God in us, we cannot please God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says no one could say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Galatians chapter 2 says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified, meaning no one will be declared righteous. And then simply put by 1 John chapter 4, we loved why? Because he first loved me. Because he first loved you. Because he first loved us. So here's the good news. The same father who draws us to Christ is not going to withdraw us from Christ. Get that? So Jesus says with one breath, the reason you don't believe is the Father has not drawn you, but whoever believes, I will raise up on the last day. The same one who draws you will not withdraw you. This is not like Christian banking, right? No, once you're drawn and you are effectually saved, you are adopted, you are spirit-filled by his grace, you're a child of his. Where to get into that? The good news says here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning that the one from heaven is the one who is going to bring you to heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 says this, Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, mean the one who wrote it, and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ is not only the Alpha and Omega of the Scriptures, not only the Alpha and the Omega of the Bible. He's the Alpha and Omega of Chris Durkin. My salvation begins and ends 
is persevered through the grace of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, in his commentary of this passage, he said this. Martin Luther, the reformer, he said, Here Christ says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. He will not only refrain from expelling and rejecting anyone, but he has also, listen church, resolved to keep them with him and prevent anyone else from taking them from him. Isn't that good news? All right, so how do we reconcile the fact that the Father draws, but also this is available to everyone? Ready? This is how this works. Ready? I have no idea how this works. <laughs> but it's gospel. It's Bible. And we're going to preach it, believe it, we're going to affirm it, and I like to say, I want to affirm what the Bible affirms and go no further. Amen. This is in the mind of God, right? So we want a God-centered gospel from beginning to end. We want to understand that our grumbling is probably because we have settled into this me-centered gospel where it's based upon my own perfection and my own self-righteousness. And there is nothing that leads to more grumbling than when we're impressed with ourselves. When we look in the mirror and we're like, man, you are the holiest guy I know. Watch, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable, and so will everyone else around you. You can write that down. Tweet that. Verse 45, the Bible says here, continuing our study, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father except he who is from the Son, and he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Next week, we're going to finish our study of this whole chapter, the bread of life. Jesus ends this passage with, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, most likely Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13, where, yes, Jesus says, and they will all be taught by God. So not only is Jesus saying you're not drawn by the Father, but the Father is now teaching them through him. That it's the Son, speak, it's the son speaking, but it's the Father teaching. They will be taught by God. So yes, they grumbled against Moses, who was an ordinary man sent by God, but now they're grumbling to the Son of God, who's both man and God, and yes, this was all prophesied. This was all predicted. Jesus is connecting Old Testament with New to say our grumbling goes deeper than we thought. He also says that the Son is the only one who has seen the Father. And then lastly, the Father draws us to the Son in this life, and the Son raises us and draws us to the Father in the next life. This is wonderful news. This leads us to repent of our sin, to turn from ourselves, to believe not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want more of him. I want more of that bread, that manna. I want more of that satisfaction in my heart. And I know all this other junk, all this other awful, nasty, worldly food does not satisfy, not only does not satisfy, will lead to pain and heartbreak. So here's the good news about grumbling. Everybody ready? The good news about grumbling, it has met its match in God's grace. What's the antidote? What's the remedy to grumbling? It's the gospel. It's always the gospel. 
So what I'm going to do right now is I am going to give us a supercharged dose of gospel. The antidote is God's grace. The remedy is the gospel. So knowing that God has drawn us, saved us, has not only called us, but will persevere us, this gives us a heart full of praise. Everyone listen, ready? Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. Not only does it lead to praise, it also leads to security. Romans chapter 8. And those whom he, is everyone listening? Predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. It doesn't stop there. And those he justified, do you know how this ends? He also glorified. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, you got a case of the grumblers? Go to Romans 8. You could also go to Revelation chapter 21. Not only does it lead to praise, not only does it lead to security, yes, the gospel leads to glory. Revelation chapter 21, we'll close our service today with this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Envision this, friends. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God dwelling, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Revelation 22, here's the invitation. This is how your Bible ends. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. Friends, the good news is your eternal security as a believer rests in the faithful hands of Jesus Christ. Being grateful for what God has saved us from saves us from our grumbling today. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we ask now, as we study your word, we ask humbly that you would draw people to a saving knowledge of your Son. Holy Spirit, that you would attend not only the reading of your word, but the proclamation of your gospel, so that our defenses would come down, our excuses would stop, our walls, all of our delays, every pretense and hypocrisy would crumble to the ground. If you want to come back, come back to the bread of life, the one who is from heaven, Jesus Christ, we invite you to believe this morning. To believe not in yourself, any ritual, any tradition, but to believe in Christ. To believe in His cross, which can forgive you of all your sin. He will not cast you out. He has promised to raise you up on the last day. So would you believe this morning? Whoever comes and believes can find grace. Whoever is drawn by the Father finds everlasting life. Pray this simple prayer with me if the Lord is leading you. May this prayer be a guide. It means nothing unless it's from our hearts. Say this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, as your word says, I can sense you drawing me to Jesus right now. I'm weary and tired of fighting it. I'm weary and tired of pretending. I want to come to you because I know I need to be forgiven by you. So pray this to the Lord, would you, church? Say it just in your heart. Father God, please forgive me of my sin. Help me to trust in you, God. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And grant me the strength to follow you every day of my life. We pray this in the good and sovereign name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. We're going to respond to God's word and sing praises to our good Father. If you want to know more about Christ, we invite you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't have your own